Welcome to the Engaged Prospect podcast. My name is Dan Hirsch, and I'm founder and president of Engaged Prospect. Today, I have with me a really special guest. I've been looking forward to this discussion for well over a month. I'm talking with Preston Smith. Preston is CEO of Rocket Ship Public Schools. Um, he's going to share quite a bit about what they do, but it's it's fascinating. Coming from a, a background in education and education technology, I've really been looking forward to to talking with you, Preston. Thanks for thanks for joining the show today. Hey, Dan. Thanks for the thanks. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. So so I could do an. A, a mediocre job explaining what you guys do at Rocket Ship. I know, I know you're in a variety of different states and doing a whole lot of stuff, but I thought it might be best just to have you explain sort of what you guys are doing, what your mission is, and uh, and all of that. Tell tell us about Rocket Ship. Yeah, I will um, be happy to do so. Um, so we are a uh, network of public schools. So um, we serve over 10,000 um, Rocketeers um, or students across this country. We have schools in uh, California, Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Washington, D.C. Uh, we focus on elementary school. Um, our mission is to eliminate, to eliminate the achievement gap in our lifetime, and we think that starts early. So really focusing on the art of early education, and in that focus, we focus uh, extensively on a uh, robust personalized model, which is really the art of getting the right content to the right student at the right time in the right way, which is really complex and something that often our educational system is not accustomed to. Uh, we focus a lot on uh, teacher and leadership development, so a ton of coaching and investment and professional development, um, and really the art um, of teaching. And then our third pillar is around parent leadership. So deep partnership with our parents and parent advocacy um, and just honoring um, our, our kids' first teacher, which is their parent. So you guys, you're, you're building a relatively holistic approach to education where it's not just one person's responsibility to, to educate our kids. You're, you're using a village, so to speak. Yeah, we very, that's a great... Uh, great way to kind of pull it together. We very deeply believe in community and the power of relationships at Rocket Ship. And so it is a very personal in-person model um, that is um, supplemented through various other modalities, including technology. And I was reflecting too, I failed to mention, a majority of our students, uh, we focus in socioeconomically disadvantaged communities. So that's where we really focus our schools and and really in working to ensure there is high quality public school options um, uh, for our for our kids and families. So let's go back in time prior to prior to you starting Rocket Ship. What was there was there a, a, a an event that occurred or a series of things that just kept popping up for you? How how did you think about this? I can speak for for myself and I think every other human I know that like you don't typically think I'm going to start a public school system. Uh, let's let's do this. <laughs> How, how'd you come up with this idea? Yeah, it's been it has been a, a journey. Um, and uh, so I'll, I'll walk through it because it, it's become really clear like this is my life's work. This is what um, you know, why I was put on this earth. And, and I think, you know, my life has really kind of evolved to be here. Um, I grew up in a low-income community 
in Southern California. Uh, my parents still live there. Um, in, in some ways, it's very much home. And, uh, and it, was, it was a great community. Um, but the reality was really struggling schools. And, I, and growing up, I really wasn't aware, right? It was where you went to school. Uh, there weren't the sort of uh, academic uh, qualifications. We didn't have No Child Left Behind. So you knew your school, you know, I knew it wasn't Harvard-Westlake, but you didn't understand like how, how far off it was from that. And I uh, didn't really realize it until I applied to UCLA down the road and, um, and I didn't get in. And I was surprised because of my background and, and what I'd been doing in school and, um, and my grades, like I, I was surprised. And so I called up the associate dean and finally got a hold of somebody. And she said, well, you know, we know about your school. And I, I said, okay, well, what do you know, right? Like, what, what does that mean? And she said, well, your grades are inflated and we take athletes, not scholars from your school. So good luck. Yeah. And, um, and that was the beginning of my journey of, of destiny of demographics. Your zip code matters. Society assumes so many things about your zip code. And there's so many things that go into your zip code, right? That, that uh, zip codes have been controlled, right? Who lives there? Who can buy a house there? Who's intentionally sold a house there? What services are put there? Do you have ac access to fresh food? the purposeful investment or disinvestment in the community that's and it has life outcomes and so that was the first i'd say like very explicit stamp of like this is real like your zip code matters um and you know i'm i'm a white male and a lot of privilege in that and so you know i was able to get to unc chapel hill and frankly they didn't know anything about my school because again no child left behind didn't exist there was no sort of uh state testing or way to kind of judge schools. And so they, I was the first student from my school ever to go there and got in and, and passed through the basic tests and went to my first writing class, Dan, and I got crushed. I got my paper back and it was a mess. And I had graduated second in my high school class, right? Like I had the highest SAT score of the top 10 students. Like I thought I was smart and I show up at college and, and I was so far behind. And my peers were talking about books I'd never seen. And I got a work study job at the library and I spent a lot of time reading and catching up and went to the reading and writing center. Thank God UNC Chapel Hill had tutoring. And so I'd, I spent that freshman year catching up, getting tutored on every paper and fighting to uh, keep up and catch up. And it was a real lesson that UCLA was right, that they, they were absolutely right. Um, and, um, and I think that started to set in motion this thinking around public school. And initially I wanted to be a lawyer and, uh, my intent was to, to, to try to be, become wealthy and go back and build a, a new high school for my community in in Southern California. And I decided, um, and then I got hooked by Teach for America and that changed my life. Uh, they sent me to San Jose and I taught as a district teacher. I partnered with parents. I learned about organizing the parents uh, I was teaching. They were organizing for something called small autonomous school. And uh, we opened a small autonomous school. We had a superintendent who had this uh, incredible vision and he believed in us. It was myself and another teacher and um, eight low income Latino Latinx families. And, um, and he said, yes. And he let us open a school, which was crazy. And I was so underprepared, but, um, you know, together kind of this community, we believed. And, um, that was July 
I think April, actually, they voted on that. And we opened in August and October, he was fired. And, you know, very kind of uh, dysfunctional school district. And they took away the word autonomous. So we became a small school. And I was there three years. Um, it was a great school. It was the fourth best low-income elementary school in the state of California when I left. And every year I would get pulled into the superintendent's office and uh, told that I was going to get moved or removed or moved to a different school. I wasn't a real principal. Um, it was it was hard. It was really hard. It was this. I had really believed that from within the system you could create change. You could prove what was possible, and it really um, that wasn't the case. It was really clear that I needed to move on, and that led to me partnering with my co-founder and uh, teaming up with the community organizing group again with families, and we started Rocket Ship, and that was uh, 14 years ago, and it's been incredible journey since, um, and just so amazing to see the consistency in this country of if you were in a, a low-income community, if you're in a certain zip code and mostly black, brown communities, you probably don't have great access to high quality public schools. And just what does that mean for our country, for our democracy, for our economy, for our freedom? It means so many things and and how similar that is across this country, but then how amazing um, our families and communities are from going back to where I grew up to now the communities we serve, just amazing families who are so hungry um, for great schools for their children. And um, and their kids are incredible. So it, it's just been such an honor and blessing. And yeah, I'm fulfilled and inspired every day and, and challenged uh, immensely every day as well. It's not too often you get to hear from somebody um, about the saying words like my life's work and and talking about leaving a legacy. It's it's inspiring to me just to have the opportunity to, to talk to you. That's I don't want to sound flippant, flippant, but that's that's really impressive, and I'm, I'm I just think that's awesome. Congratulations for finding a calling like this, and you can tell you put, and, and I know you you have a busy schedule, so you can tell you put a lot of a lot of your energy into it. Besides besides your two children, I'm sure um, that takes a lot of time as well. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that, Dan. I, I'm also, I mean, I think you know, blessed, like you, you were alluding to my, my family, you know, my kids went to my schools. They're now in middle school. So like I said, we only do elementary, but it, it's been a whole family. Everybody's been all in, but it really, I mean, it's it, all of our work is powered by our incredible team. Like uh, the, the people within rocket ship are amazing, just amazing people who are so committed and dedicated to our mission and community work. And then our families, make it all possible. So really, I mean, I, um, I'm really lucky to get to do what I do every single day and be surrounded by such amazing communities and people. That's really cool. So, so I know, I know another piece that's really important to you is, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth. We, on our first conversation talked about, um, lessons learned, right? Pivoting, changing strategies based on data. I'm, I'm assuming I, I don't want to put again, words in your mouth, but are, have, have there been times where you've, since starting Rockship, and that was back in, in 06, I think, right? So you've, you've been at this for a while. Um, have, have there been times where you, you've, you've pivoted yourself, you've changed some strategies, looked at things differently? T talk to us about that, if, if that's true. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have had to evolve and grow throughout our time, right? We started with 160 kids uh, in a in a church, um, and now we're at you know over 10,000 uh, students. We've served over 20,000 kids and families, um, you know, across multiple uh, states and regions, and and there's so much there. So yeah, we have had to pivot um, and shift a lot, and have learned a lot in that. So. Um, I mean, and, and to your point, data definitely informs that, but not just student achievement data, but also um, uh, so many other pieces of data, um, like our staff satisfaction, our parent survey, you know, how, what's their experience? Like, there's so many things we look at to really inform, like, what do we need to continue to evolve in our model? Uh, what's the most current research on brain science and uh, student agency and well-being and learning? Um, all of those things. So, I mean, there's been so many pivots structurally, you know, how do you shift an organization that serves, you know, one school, 160 kids all the way to 20 schools and 10,000? What is the model? How has it evolved? Especially as our, we've learned so much more about brain development, brain research, and really working to incorporate that. Technology has advanced so much in the 14 years. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I'm which pivot do you want to focus on, Dan? Because we've definitely grown and evolved and shifted over time. <laughs> well, there's an obvious one that occurred about one year ago today that I would say has has been quite a pivot for everybody. But let let I'll answer that in just a moment. Let me back up. Something I did want to share earlier is that that most of the folks that I speak with is is under the the umbrella of sales in some fashion or another. For those who don't know Engaged Prospect, we are a sales and marketing consulting firm, outsourcing business and lead generation uh, focus as it relates to inside sales. My personal background, and Preston, you know this, but for those who don't, I, I come from the ed tech world where for the last probably 15 years or so, I've been involved in selling education to, to guys like you, actually, right? So we would we would call you and try to explain why our solution is, is the next greatest thing for you. Um, as it relates to your work, naturally, there's probably been a lot of changes just in the past year with, because of COVID, maybe technology, um, students in or out of class, the, the classrooms in particular. Uh, or you can take it in a totally different direction and tell us a story from five years ago. I don't, it doesn't matter, but I, I assume that's been a huge source of change in your business, just like everybody else's. Absolutely. Uh, frankly, probably everybody <laughs> has been engaged in the debate around public schools um, this year and to open to not how to open, which has been fascinating to navigate across you know, all of the regions we're in um, and the different uh, regional expectations and dashboards. And it's been, um, yeah, that's been quite a pivot. Um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, we closed, it's almost a year ago, because um, today's March 9th. So we closed on March 13th, really across the country. Um, our first school to close were in Nashville on March 11th. They had just gone through some pretty severe tornadoes the week prior, but they closed on March 11th. Um, and then it just kind of rolled across the country. And uh, March 13th was the last day of school. We were, um, we were 
really uh we we had been preparing but that was a day where it was it was very clear that that was it um and our campuses would close we had been preparing a couple of weeks prior i've been working with my team and it in my mind it had become clear we were going to close if you go back at that time there was still a lot of debate and and there was also a debate around like hey we're going to close for a couple of weeks but then we'll open and and i think the thing that i that i most remember dan was um, there was a lot of conversation about how are you going to get work home? Schools had to get work to kids. Kids had to get work back. That was the combo. And I remember talking with my team about like, that's not, that's not what schools are for us at Rocket Ship, right? We started with it. Schools are this relationship. They're a community, right? It's this community. It's this, this love and care and investment in our kids and their identities and who they are and their families and honoring that, like that's our schools, right? As an example, every day at a rocket school, we start with something called launch, which is a daily assembly. We usually do it outside. Now, you know, East Coast or Milwaukee, that's not the case in certain months, but we come together in the gym or outside, all of the kids and families are welcome to join too. And we we gather and we gather and they say their creed, which is their daily promise around our core values. And our teacher, or sorry, our families have selected the fifth core value at every one of our schools in, in also naming each school. So they do the creed, they do a dance, they do a song, they have announcements and celebrations. Like it's this really fun, energetic, safe, communal way to start the day. Like that's how we start every day at Rocket Ship. And, um, and so that was my challenge to our team. I was like, how did we translate our culture? How did we like bring that community through Zoom, through Facebook? And, and what did we do there? We, could, we would be able to figure out the work. But what we really needed to figure out was community and giving that sense of stability for our kids, right? Like very few people have talked about, you know, there's the trauma our kids have experienced, what they're going through right now, the families not having jobs, rent insecurity, is their rent forgiven? Are they being kicked out? Is it even a safe home? Many of them have, having to live with two, three, four, five, six other families, right? Like this is intense. And so just the toxic stress and especially just like having a, a schedule, a ritual. And so we uh, were preparing for it. And on Friday close, did professional development with our teachers on Monday. And on Tuesday, we launched our model, which included launch on Facebook. It included landing at the end of the day, celebrating kids. It included bedtime stories every night. It included doing things together, making lunch. Um, and and I, I'm really proud of that. Like that was a big shift um, for us. I'd say other things we pivoted on big then, um, and that started pre-closure. We knew we were needing to get kids online. And so we started working really hard to work with Comcast and Spectrum and how did we get our kids online. And we learned, Dan, that like it wasn't just getting access to the rate or the deal that they were offering. It was literally helping our families navigate that. And how did they make the calls? Who did they talk to? But then also like their landlord might say, no way, you can't drill another hole in the wall. So we had to navigate landlords. And so we started this care core team at each of our schools, which was um, individual team members, usually a group of about eight at every school. And their sole job was to help our families navigate the different resources in their community. And so what that meant was pre-pandemic, it was really around hotspots and Wi-Fi. 
And then after March 13th, it became more and more about how did you access food? Where, how did you fill out unemployment? How could you apply for um, rent forgiveness? Um, all these sorts of things that are really tough to navigate for our families and literally coaching and helping them know where to access it. And that I think has been uh, transformational for our families and community um, through the past, you know, 15 months. I have a, I have a preface to my next question, which is something that I I'm, apologize. I don't know, but how, how is rocket ship funded? Um, you'll see why I'm asking in a moment, if you're willing and able to share. Yeah, we are public school. So the same way that uh, any public school, like a traditional district school is funded. So, okay. so through state and federal revenues, it depends on the state, um, how those state, you know, sometimes it's income tax, sometimes it's property, some, you know, it depends on the state, yeah. but we're funded in the same way. Um, and we are, I mean, it's also worth noting our entire budget, I think less than 5% is supported by philanthropy. So we are very much driven to demonstrate that like great public schools in our communities are very much possible with the um, public revenues um, that are available. Well, and so that's interesting because the, the common knock on many large industries, but education being one of them for sure, is that they're slow to change and adapt and pivot. And, um, you know, we were, we were learning math the same way in 2015 as we were in 1927, probably, right? Um, obviously, technology changes that, but the the knock in, in on one camp is that education is very slow to adapt. It sounds to me like you guys are trying to flip that upside down and and find ingenious ways of of making strides quickly and being very nimble. Um, I don't know if that's the, the structure of your organization or, or you, or just how how it's shifting, but kudos to you. It, it really does seem like you're, you're taking a whole new approach to the public school system. Yeah, I, I, I think that we're not alone. There are others, but I would say that was part of the lesson learned when I moved from uh, the traditional district and the small school to, to rocket ship was that it just gave us far more space for innovation. It's one of our core characteristics as an organization is innovation. And I, I guess I just, I'd say like, it's what our kids and families deserve, right? I would say responsible innovation. We need, you brought up earlier, we need to be guided by data and ensure that it's effective, but we need to uh, really be pushing the limit and, and trying to ensure we're giving our kids the most robust, um, holistic, effective, you know, uh, amazing model we can um, that really honors their identities and family. So, yeah, we've got uh, from the very beginning, we've uh, integrated uh, online learning um, and we've learned lessons in that. Sometimes we've done it really well and sometimes we've made mistakes or not done it to the, the best way and had to pivot. Um, and uh, we've we do a rotational model for elementary. That means that our kids, our teachers specialize in either humanities or STEM. So our kids like a middle school, but for elementary, they literally move to a different teacher in the day. And then they also go to something called a learning lab, which is really probably the easiest way to think about that as like an after school program that's 
is in day. So it's got PE, they've got hands-on science, they've got robotics, they've got tutoring, um, but it's really a robust experience. So our model is, yeah, I would say very different than most traditional elementaries. And, and it really has afforded us a space for our educators and leaders to, to innovate even further and, and, and really provide a really rich experience for our kids and family. How awesome is that? What do, what do you notice um, as you've as you've built and built and built and, and refined? What have you noticed of what your students? Because you you only go to is it fifth grade? Is that correct? All right, sorry for yeah. asking in a roundabout way, but what what do you notice with your fifth graders going into sixth grade in a in another organization versus what you saw with traditional fifth graders that were, were getting into sixth grade? Yeah, that's a great question, Dan. I, I guess there's two big things we see. One is um, it, it, the question of like our mission, right? If our mission is to eliminate the achievement gap in our lifetime, we believe that it's not a parallel system that's going to make that happen. Meaning if we're a K through 12 system and there's a district down the street that's K through 12, like we're running in parallel to each other, but we're not really influencing the system. We're not creating a healthier ecosystem. And we very much believe in an ecosystem, right? Like just like nature, right? You need different species to make the whole environment healthy. And so that's part of our thinking is like we can innovate more rapidly if we focus in elementary. It's where it's most critical to make a difference for our students and really in making sure that they have an you know, excellent education so they can have the opportunity for college or whatever they want. But also ending in elementary school um, really activates our parents' uh, choice and awareness of what a quality school. So it really transforms the ecosystem. And this is our larger theory of change, that we're not going to realize this mission by having this K through 12 parallel system. Rather, if we're in communities and focus on elementary and partner deeply with our families, our families are going to go on to choose great middle schools or to recruit new middle schools, ask for new small autonomous schools in districts or ask for district schools to innovate and change or find the best district schools or bring in charters. They're going to really lead their community um, to, a, to just be a much higher quality environment for um, public, high quality public schools. So that's a big part. And we've seen it. We've seen that happen in San Jose. We've seen that happen in Milwaukee um, and in Nashville, like it, fueling parent choice. And they know what a great school looks like. And that makes a huge difference, not just middle school, but then it means they're making choices in high school and college, right? And their investment and decision-making means our kids have a better shot to not only go to college, but get through college. Um, so that's one. And then just does it work? Um, and we did a, a study. Um, it's on our website. We did it with Stanford Research International. And essentially, we found that our kids um, were a year ahead of their peers when they went to middle school. They were arriving a year ahead in uh, literacy and math. And that gap actually uh, grew um, over time, which kind of proved our theory, too, of like if kids come at grade level or higher and are ready to learn, they can really take off in the right setting and continue to thrive. I think most parents have seen that um, with their own children. And so, you know, if your child's struggling, it's really hard, you know, school is not fun. 
right? And it's hard to kind of thrive. But once you get there and you can read and you're at level, like you can really go. It changes the school experience. And so that's what that study demonstrated is that, yes, it was working for our Rocketeers. They were showing up to middle school uh, a year ahead of their peers and which enabled them to continue to grow uh, even more um, rapidly. It's just incredible to see that. And you, I, I know you have decades more. I don't mean to make you feel bad about, about your career, but you have decades more of this to make even more improvements. He's a, he's a young guy. You guys won't see, you won't see his, uh, the video portion of this call. Uh, he's, he's young enough to do this for many more decades and make a lot more positive change in our, in our education system. I absolutely love it. Let me, let me change gears for just a second and ask you a question that, that falls in line with our typical, uh, podcast discussions as, as you know, and I said on the show a few minutes ago, we, we are a lot about sales, right? So, so trying to, trying to figure out the best ways of, of helping organizations like yours, as opposed to talking with organizations like yours um, from a, an interview standpoint. What, knowing that you're on the other side of that quite a bit with people calling you or, or sending you emails, trying to, to introduce new solutions and, and you have with, with technology and with changes in because of COVID and all of these things, you probably have a great understanding of the world of ed tech and the world of uh, what's, what resources are out there to help students and teachers be at their best. What, just to put you on the hot seat and ladies and gentlemen, he's not, he's not prepared for this question, um, at least by me. What would you say would be maybe one or two things to think about for any organization selling to education to, to be cognizant of, just to, to, to get your attention, to get, um, get time with you, to be able to, to better communicate their value to you? What, what would you say to that? Ah, oh, damn, that's a fascinating question. I, and before I answer that one, I do want to, I appreciate your point about decades more, but I, I think, um, honestly, it, it's my, I, it, what I think about a lot is how I am nurturing and um, investing in my team because they're the ones who are going to carry it forward and our family. So I, I just, I appreciate it, but hey, the, uh, the load, um, there's far greater people than I that are going to carry this work on. Um, in regards to your question about tech, um, yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I think some companies have started to do this in COVID, and I, I think it's, it's smart and strategic, which is to go straight to the teacher um, or the educators. Um, I, I'll tell this story, like what we've learned. I'll give it a story. We were using an online program. This is years ago. This is back when we first started Rockchip. was back in 2007. And, and we have purposely integrated online programs into our learning. We had a theory that we didn't believe introducing content was the way, but we did believe practice, individualized practice of content, almost like homework, um, was really meaningful to kids. Um, and things like, you know, our kindergarten teachers are amazing people. Like, I, I challenge anyone to go teach a kindergarten class. Like, it is incredibly intense and you just, brilliant people. 
And yet these same folks are introducing letter sounds and practicing them for hours upon hours, right? And it's like, that's probably appropriate for some kids, but not all. There's, there's, there's such talented people and how do we really optimize the time for our teachers? So we think about things like that, of like what are other ways and other tools to help our kids practice content so we can really optimize time differently and talent differently. And so we were using this program, we were high users, and we'd run into lesson after lesson after lesson, it was glitched, it would break down or something was wrong. So we kept calling and they, they basically said to us like, wow, like we had no idea. We've been selling this product for years and no one's ever called it. Like you guys actually use it. That's like a quote, you guys actually use it. Wow. And it became clear that districts were buying the program because it helped them become compliant or check a box, but they weren't actually using it, right? Which is a, I think for some companies, a great user. But we were actually on the other, we actually had, we're like, no, we need it to work. Um, and it became this very kind of, it, it was very informative for us that um, selling to districts often is different than selling to us or a charter. Like we are a high, and demanding user, right? We are not necessarily what a lot of ed tech companies I think are looking for. Um, and districts aren't, they're looking to solve often a compliance or some larger thing. And so it's like plugging it in there. The issue, and even in our system, what we've definitely learned is like, if your principals, especially your principals, if your site leaders aren't bought in, that is not going anywhere in terms of real usage, in terms of real buy-in. And buy-in is a real thing. Um, and so I've seen in COVID more and more companies, ed tech companies going straight to the teacher, offering and having teachers play with it, having teachers inform the product. And I think that's super smart and powerful because I would say, even for us, we're large enough now, if I try to adopt something, there's a whole process to get buy-in and investment that um, it takes longer than I think some companies really want to deal with. Um, and I'd say, like I said earlier, we are a high user, meaning it better be purposely, purposely integrated into our model. It better make sense. It has specific needs for us. And I think we think differently than most kind of large districts. And so I think that's something for ed tech companies to kind of figure out is like, not only how do you get probably more rapidly straight to the user, because teachers are brilliant. Um, and how do you get them to get bought in and get, make the product better and really weave it into their instruction? But also there's a big difference in selling, I think, to districts versus charters in terms of like what, how we use data, what we want out of the product. Um, and, and the reality, Dan, is being true. Like, like we're small, we're small peanuts. You sell to LAUSD, uh, Chicago Public Schools, NYDOE. That's, that's the holy grail, right? So that's why the market drives often in that direction in which, in my opinion, often isn't in the best interest of students or frankly, a better education for students because it's, it's driven towards mass adoption, not towards true uh, pedagogy often or the excellence to really elevate uh, instruction or, or, or the school model. I, I, pick up everything you're putting down. Although I'm going to say if New York city department of education is the Holy grail, you have five cities, all very well known, the Bay area, Nashville, Milwaukee, DC, and Fort worth. So you're going to, you're going to be the New York city department of education of the future. What's, uh, what's I don't know. I, I don't know about that. I mean, we, we are definitely not at their scale. And frankly, the, at the scale they do the work is, uh, it's, 
immense. It's yes. immense when you think about NYDOE and how many families and kids and needs they're trying to serve. It, it's an, it's intense. It's it is absolutely amazing. But but so is so is Rocket Ship. I'm I'm really impressed. I wasn't familiar until a few months ago with your organization, and and since meeting you and since getting to to know your business more, it's it's fascinating. You guys are doing an excellent job. The the passion that you have is is obviously evident and um for those entrepreneurs listening to this call the the big takeaway i have is that it's the passion that preston brings to his work the the leadership to to take a moment to go back and and talk about his team when i was just complimenting him like all all of the things you could see in a textbook have have been demonstrated today but it seems to me that you know we as entrepreneurs get into something because we we see a problem in the world that we want to solve for different reasons or another um not that i'm the the expert on on passion or entrepreneurship but i talk to enough of them and i i see it evidently with you um i i'm just i'm thrilled that you shared some wisdom with us today i'm thrilled to have gotten to know you like i have so far and i hope that continues and and thank you very much for spending some time with us today. Yeah, I appreciate it, Dan. And I, I think you also, I mean, it maybe makes me think about unpacking failure, but I also think you touched on the other thing that I think is key is you will fail. You will have to, uh, if your organization or whatever you believe in is growing, you're going to have to change. And that's hard. And failure is hard. And just picking yourself up, learning um, I, I, I learned a saying, and I believe that adults learn through pain. So, you know, there's some real pain, but there's been some real lessons learned. And, and if you can learn and push through and evolve, um, I think that is key um, and really hard, really hard. So um, you've really kind of touched on that, too. And I think that's a key to success as well. And I've been lucky enough to have amazing people help me, you know, figure it out and push through. So thank you for the opportunity, Dan. Really great to be here. Oh, absolutely. Thank, and thank you again, of course. So, so last but not least, tell us, tell us how, um, how families and communities and, and those listening can, can find out more about you and also about Rocketship Public Schools and, and for those families out there that might have a Rocketeer, what, what do they need to do to find you guys to, to begin that journey? Yeah, go to rocketshipschools.org. Um, you can learn more. Um, yeah, it's probably the easiest way. I'm, I'm on Twitter, I guess, Preston, uh, Preston D. Smith. Um, but yeah, go to rocketshipschools.org and check us out. And, you know, any way we can be of service, we've got free tools we're offering online in terms of content and webinars and, you know, any way we can be of service um, for kids or families or communities um, or schools or educators. Uh, we're all in because um, I guess going back to my story, just do not do want to really shift the narrative around destiny of demographics and that, you know, regardless of zip code, regardless of background, you can uh, go to a great public school and you can and you can live the life uh, and have the opportunities you deserve. That is absolutely wonderful. I love what you're doing and I wish you nothing but the best. Preston Smith, CEO of Rocketship Public Schools. Thank you so much for joining us and, uh, and sharing with our crowd all the things you're doing. Best of luck. Thank you.
Thanks, sir. Thank you, Dan. All right. You have a great day. You too. Thank you.